Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Yeah, I think we're a little bit quiet this morning, so I'm just going to go a little bit off piece for just a second. Is that okay? So a massive miracle happened in 2017 for our family. I actually started cooking. Um, <laughs> Me and my wife have been married six years, and uh, you, you might not believe me when I say this, but I had literally not cooked a meal for the family until last year. <laughs> now, I'm making it up for it now, but I, I still make mistakes. Like I, I see myself as a bit of Gordon Ramsay character in the kitchen, um, but I still do make a few mistakes. And on Friday night, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have some scampi. I've been fasting, and I've been you know, doing different bits, and I thought, I'm going to have some scampi. I love scampi. So I got the scampi out of the freezer, chucked it in the oven, waited, I thought, yeah, 15 minutes will be fine. Chucked it in the oven, got my scampi out, pretty proud of myself. I ate this scampi, a bit into it, and I was like, that scampi's still freezing cold, <laughs> right? But men, you know this, like I've been looking forward to this scampi for like 15 minutes, I was hungry, so what did I do? I proceeded to eat the whole scampi. <laughs> And I, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, babe, to my wife, Helen, I was like, babe, um, is scampi okay to eat raw? Like, she was like, no, definitely not. I proceeded to put it back in the oven, but yes, that is uh, something stupid that I did this last week. Who's enjoying this prayer and fasting season? Yeah, okay, maybe enjoying is not the word, but who's um, getting something out of it? I um, I, I want to make this year the best year of my life. Do you know why? Because things with God get better and better and better. That's what I believe. I don't believe that that is um, just me hyping things up this morning. I believe that's the gospel, that relationship with God gets better and better. I heard someone say that you know, everything that the devil offers us, that sin offers us, actually starts with the best and goes downhill from there. That's so true, isn't it? You know, it might be true with alcohol or with drugs or with, um, you know, illicit relationships. It starts up here. The devil promises us everything here straight away, gives us it, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. But you know, with God, he starts at the bottom and it gets better and better and better. So... So that you can believe going into 2018 that 2017 might have been bad, it might have been great, but no matter what it was like, you can believe and have faith that it's going to get better and better and better. Not that life's going to be perfect or life's going to be easy, but you know what? In God, it can get better and better. Now, as, uh, as Julie said, we're in this season, Acts 2.42, and right at the start of the year, we wanted to look at this first church, the first church in Acts 2. I don't know about you, but I love the book of Acts. Like, it's always captivated me. What I love is that we're living in Acts times now. Acts is the book that never finished getting written. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see, Jesus was here physically on the earth. But Acts is the first book that is written after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. So the reality is this, that we are living in Acts days now. The resources that they had, we have today. And that's what I love. It's always captivated me and excited me since a young age. I love the miracles in Acts, the passion of the believers, the opposition they were shown, and the unstoppable nature of this first church has always drawn me in. See, in Acts, we see the potential of what the church is called to be and what the church can be. The Acts in Acts, the people in Acts, are by no means perfect. We see betrayal, we see rejection, we see dejection, we see lying, 
And we see imperfection all the way through this book. Why? Because it's written about people. People like you and me. See, I know I say this a lot from the stage, but it's easy when we look at the Bible and to read the Bible to think that the people of the Bible just floated through life, like they didn't have a care in the world. But honestly, this is so far from the case. I want you to get this in your head this morning, that the people in Acts were no more special than you and me. They weren't. They were no more special than you and I. See, a lot has been said about the qualification of the apostles and The one who stood up in Acts 2, Peter, he stood up and preached and 3,000 people responded to the gospel and said, I want to follow this Jesus. That same guy, four weeks earlier, a few weeks earlier, had denied Jesus and was walking away from the faith completely. See, this is what God can do with ordinary people. See, Acts isn't an account of perfect people who were extremely talented doing amazing works. It's an account of normal people who had a heart revelation that salvation is only found in Jesus and the best way to live is the Holy Spirit working through them. See, if it was just about extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, then most of us would be discounted this morning, wouldn't we? But because it's about ordinary people encountering an extraordinary God, we can come today and say, God, do it in me. God, do it again. God, do it in me today. Because it's about ordinary people coming into contact with an extraordinary God. Let's have a look at what it says in Acts 2.42. It says this in the NIV version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I am excited for the day when we can say that God's adding to our number daily those who were being saved. This first church was amazing. They were powerful. We see that they devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And if you were here last week, you will have heard Christian open up about the apostles' teaching and prayer. And today, I have the privilege of looking at the the fellowship aspect of this first church and also the breaking of bread. What it means today how we can apply it to our lives today, and the power and significance of these things. So one of the key hallmarks of this Acts church was the unity of believers. As you read this book, as you read Acts, I'd encourage you, if you haven't read it or you haven't read it for a while, get back in Acts, have a look at it. You can see that this unity is flowing from the page. This togetherness, this oneness, this commonality. These people were united around Jesus, what he'd done in them and what he could do for those around them. I don't know, I'm a Manchester United fan, the greatest team in the entire world. And um, and if I come into, Jordan brought a couple of her friends to the Christmas thing and I was just chatting to this guy and we were having a chat and it was kind of ebbing out a little bit as conversations do. He then told me, He was a Manchester United fan. I was like, this guy, he knows. 
And you know, it's dead funny because unity is it's like coming together around a cause. And as soon as I heard that this guy was a Manchester United fan, you could not split us up. We were talking, we were talking about past, probably a bit more than present. Um, we were talking about what should happen, what shouldn't happen, because we were united with this thing. It's funny, if I meet a Liverpool fan, not quite the same. Um, our, our big Liverpool fan is uh, not in the building. I'm also looking at Tim as well. But this thing of unity, people coming together around a cause, realising that actually me and uh, Jordan's friend, we had quite a lot. Um, we were very different in many ways, but we had this one thing actually that brought us together, which is amazing about unity. See, they, they were united around Jesus, what he'd done in them what he could do for those around him, like I said. See, I I think this is such a key part to why this church was blessed, why it grew. We see in Psalm 133, and this is my own paraphrase, that where there's unity, God commands a blessing. And I don't know about you, church, but I want to live in God's blessing. I want to live in his favor over my life. I need that. that. That song, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you're blessed on my life. See, this community in Acts, they couldn't wait to be together to tell stories of his grace, to pray for those who were hurting, to love those who were broken. See, they went far further than just an obligatory tap on the back if you were struggling. They would do what they could to help those around them. See, we see to an even greater level that they sold possessions and gave to those as they had need. The way I see it is like this, that they ran to gatherings. They couldn't wait for meals together and were desperate to introduce people to this Jesus who had changed their lives. See, this word fellowship is not a word we use much in arena even, but it's a word if you've been around church for a while, you will be familiar with. But I I know that there'll be some people today who don't know really what the word's all about. And basically it means this, a friendly association around a common interest. See, as Acts 2.42 says, you can see that they devoted themselves to this fellowship. It wasn't just something on the wall, a a mantra to be followed. This was the core of who they were. In the message translation, it's described, fellowship is translated as the life together. I love this idea of the life together. I, I think one of the places that the church has fallen short over the year has been in this area of the life together. See, church has been something that people go to on a Sunday and then step back into this siloed existence for the rest of the week, completely detached from this community called church. People turn up on a Sunday, say hi to a few people, and never make a real heart connection. I think even today, this will be the norm in many churches across our country. And this has led to issues of disunity, breakdown, and churches splitting as factions focus on things that don't really matter. There's no deep relationship, there's no commonality, and there is no life together. This wasn't what this church in Acts looked like. People weren't turning up to meetings out of duty or religion. They couldn't wait to be together. See, the word church, it wasn't used to describe a building. It was used to describe the community. It wasn't, I'm going to church. It's, I'm being church. 
uh, they wouldn't, uh, this church in Acts, they wouldn't have got if you said, I'm going to church. He's like, what do you mean? You are the church. It's active. It's not passive. See, these gatherings, they were happening every day in homes, in the temple courts, it says, i.e. a bigger gathering like we're, we're, what we're in today. Wherever they could get together, and at the center of every single gathering was Jesus. I just want to make a few observations about the way this community did fellowship. The first thing I see is this, that they were real people living real lives. Like as I said earlier, we tend to look at this community and think everybody agreed and it was all fine and no one disagreed and no one fell out and everything was perfect. Like I said, this is far from the case. A lot of these believers were being thrown in jail and even worse, some people were being thrown in jail for the faith. We see through our acts there are some pretty meaty disagreements as well. If you've read it, you'll know that the Apostle Paul, to be fair, is probably one of the worst for this, the biggest culprits for these disagreements. And it's clear, in a city like Jerusalem, like if you go to Nottingham or to Derby or to Birmingham, you have people driving around in the Ferraris who own the big businesses, but also you have people on the streets who really don't have much. These people weren't robots, They were real people living real lives. See, we can see that the believers gave resources to those people who had need. So it obviously suggests that there is people who had need. This wasn't perfect life for perfect people. See, I use these points to illustrate the fact that these believers weren't mindless robots living in perfect lives or even characters in a nice story. These were people like you and I, people with differences, people with financial issues, health troubles and family problems. But this community had caught something way bigger than themselves. They had encountered Jesus and instead of letting their differences divide them, they looked to the thing that united them, Jesus See, I imagine that this church had the businessman next to the beggar, the prostitute next to the preacher, the tax collector across from the tiller system. But because they looked to what brought them together, they lived in this unity that brought an amazing blessing to all of their lives. It was amazing. See, unity and fellowship isn't always agreeing. It's not always agreeing with the person next to you. We have an amazing cross-section of people in Arena Church, and that is the way the church is supposed to be. People from different countries, different races, different backgrounds, and that's cool. We love that. And the reality is, with all these different backgrounds, we're not all going to agree, are we, all the time? We're not always going to have the same worldview, and that's okay. See, disagreement is actually a really powerful tool when used in a functional way. Now, I'll be honest, I'd love it if everyone agreed with me all the time. it'd It'd be the best. Like if my wife agreed with me all the time, my team agreed with me all the time, it'd be amazing. But the reality is, if people just agreed with me all the time, I would have done some ridiculous things in my life. I might not even be here today because, you know, I'm like, let's go jump off that cliff. That'd be a great idea. Disagreement for me has been healthy in my life because actually I realize that I'm not omniscient like God. I I don't know everything. I've not got this ideal or perfect worldview. And I might shock you this morning, but also I've not got the perfect theology. Wow. And guess what? You haven't either. 
And even to a further extent, there is no one on this earth who has the perfect theology or perfect worldview. I present the only person through history who had the perfect theology was Jesus himself. So if that's the case, then there's got to be room for a difference in opinion. There's got to be room to say, hey, you think something different to me. I'm going to listen to that. I'm not going to fall out with you. And I'm going to try and understand as well. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some things in my life that are big rocks. So, for example, the fact that Jesus is my saviour, that he died for me, that he rose again. You could tell me whatever you wanted, but that is always going to be central to who I am. But there are things around my life that, you know what, I I, I believe, but I know that they're not these big rocks. You know, it might be the way that we do worship. The amazing thing about the Bible is it's not said you need to do this, this, and this in a service. That's why we have what we do here at Arena, and then down the street, there's another uh, outworking of that, and in London, there's a different outworking, and that's cool, right? Because that's like, that's just what I believe. But because I know I've not got this perfect worldview, there is room for someone else's opinion, someone else's view. See, I think sometimes in church, we get so caught up with these little silly things that it takes us away from Jesus. It takes us away from the thing and the person that brings us together. See, I want to learn. I want to grow. And how do I learn and how do I grow? By listening to other people, by listening to, to, to their opinion, by listening to what they say. Will I always grow? Will I always agree? No. But you know what? Just because I disagree doesn't mean we have to fall out. Yeah? Let's look to the thing that unites us, and that's Jesus. See, in a mature community of united believers, disagreement doesn't lead to fallout. But growth, as long as our foundation is Jesus. Church, can we commit to look into the things that unite us and not the things that pull us apart? So often, disunity is caused by petty disagreements around things that don't really matter. People will offend you. People will hurt you. And people will let you down. But guess what? You've hurt people. You've offended people. And you've let people down. Like the rag and bone man says, I'm only human after all. I'm only human. What a song. What a char. Don't, don't, don't. What a tune. But it's true, isn't it? We're only human. Sure, we're living... We're living to a bigger plan. We're living with God inside of us so we can live this amazing life. But you know what? We make mistakes and we mess up. So if someone upsets you, if someone hurts you in this community of believers, you know what you can do? If Chris upset me, you know what I'd do? I'd go, hey, Chris, I'm, not, I'm sure you didn't mean to, but mate, you upset me. What was that all about? Can we have a chat? And we would talk about it. What I wouldn't do would go... Oh, Chris, your Chris is a nightmare. Like, Julie, Chris is a flipping nightmare. You know, Eleanor, Chris is a nightmare. And you laugh, but this is what we do. And this is what causes disunity because people get so caught up with this little thing that got said this one time and they can't let it go. And I'm about to sing another song now. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold them. Come on, can we do it together? I just love this song. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold them back anymore. Yeah, I've seen that song and I love that song. I've seen that film a few times with my little boy. But sometimes we just need to let it go. 
And if it's a problem, go and speak to the person. Okay? That's maturity. That's a mature, united community of believers. The next thing I see is this, is that they gave themselves to the life together. Like I said, I love this phrase of the life together. See, the church was supposed to be this constantly growing community where people are accepted and loved into a family. It isn't supposed to be the siloed existence that's endured. It's supposed to be a corporate experience that is enjoyed. The reason we're so passionate about small groups in Arena is because it encourages this life together. I bumped into Bob and Mandy Ty, who lead the great small group in the life of our church. Bob and Mandy just over there this week at the project. And um, we were just chatting about their small group and how passionate and excited they were about what was happening. And Mandy went on to say just about something that had happened in one of the guys, one of the people in the small group. And that the small group had come around and prayed for this person. And this had meant so much to this person. Had there been a prayer request sent out? No, I I don't think there had. Had it gone out to the the whole church? No, because you know what? 300 people can't relate to everybody. But in that community, in that small group, they had made a difference in this lady's life. So you can't know everybody here, but you need to know somebody. Small groups create community. See, church is amazing. This here, what we do on a Sunday morning is important. But community is also important. See, church on a Sunday without community loses loads of its power. And you know what? Community without church on a Sunday loses a lot of its power. But the two together are a recipe for amazing things. I'm so thankful for Arena, for this church, because it has given me my community. The people who are with me, my friends, the people who I run with, the people who I do life with, they support me, they help me, they lift, lift me up. We, uh, you know, we encourage each other to more. In our community, in our little group, there have been times when people have given as others have need in the community because we want to hold each other up. It enriches my life, it enhances it. It's truly amazing. If you aren't in a small group, I want to encourage you this morning to give yourself to one. If you live in that siloed life, that existence where you're on your own, please reach out in this community. Commit to, pe- commit to meeting people, to getting together with people, to eating with people, to getting around people's lives, and you will see what, um, what God can do through community. Right at the start of the Bible, God said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. We were created for relationship with God and also relationship with man. Listen, you are robbing yourselves of a great life, of the best life, if you were living on your own. I understand you might have hurts. I understand that people might have upset you. I understand that it might be hard for you to be vulnerable with people. But listen, it's worth it to get through to this thing we call community. As you do this, you'll see change in your life. See, the other thing we were talking about, breaking of bread. See, I think many people have many different interpretations and expectations of the breaking of bread. You might not even know what I'm talking about when I say that. It's got a few names, like the Eucharist or the Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. See, at Arena, we do this once a month, and we're going to do it at the end of our service today, so please don't rush off. But a lot of people think breaking of bread is confined to churches to be officiated by a pastor or equivalent. But the Bible doesn't place these sort of restrictions on us. 
in Acts, it shows us that they broke bread in their homes. I love that as these people got together in their smaller groups, that they were keen to put Jesus at the center through the breaking of bread. See, I think another key component of the unity of this church was the fact that they came right back to the start and broke bread in their homes. In Luke 22, we see Jesus demonstrate and explain the breaking of bread for the first time. He says this, uh, verse 14 says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I, uh, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I just want to pause there. I love a couple of things about this. It says Jesus reclined at the table. What was he doing? Just chilling out. He's just hanging with his friends. It wasn't like this. It was deeply spiritual, but sometimes we, uh, like deeply spiritual, we think equals like really serious. That's not always the case. They were just hanging out. They were just in each other's company together. And it also says, I love this. It says it, it, Jesus said, he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, again, we think Jesus has eagerly desired to do this just so we can teach them. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how we see Jesus. These are the guys over the last three years who Jesus has spent his life with. This is his crew. These are his best friends. These are the people he relates to. And I think there's something to Jesus saying, guys, I've been so looking forward to to being with you. This last time, before I go and do some stuff that you don't even understand yet, I can't wait to hang out with you. I've been so looking forward to spending time with you. I just love this. You know what? This is just a side note. Jesus loves to spend time with you. He loves to hang out with you. He eagerly awaits you waking up in the morning and saying, hey, Jesus, I'm here. He eagerly awaits that. I, I honestly believe that Jesus is just waiting for you, saying, hey, guys, I'm here. I eagerly await for you to come and spend time with me. Amazing. For I tell you, verse 16, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. For you. See, when Jesus tells us to do something, we have to see its importance. He's telling his disciples to do this in remembrance of me, i.e. he's telling us to do that. Yeah. Do this yeah. in remembrance of me. This is important. And I just want to have a, a look at a few things why I believe that. The first thing is this, it brings us back to Jesus. See, the breaking of bread reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross and what he has done for us and what he does for us every single day. When we break bread and and we remember how his body was broken. When we drink of the cup, we remember how he poured out his blood for you and me. We remember how he set us free, how he's carried us, how he's navigated us through great seasons and tough seasons. And it reminds us that he went through all of it just for us. When I go to break bread, when I come to break bread, it just brings me back to the start. Brings me back to the start. Hey, God, thank you so much for dying for me on the cross. 
Thank you for setting me free. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you went on purpose. You've got to realize Jesus' arm wasn't twisted into going to the cross. He didn't go because he got caught. He chose to go to the cross. His blood wasn't spilled. His blood was poured out. Choice. He chose to pour his blood out. See, it centers us by taking us back to what he did for us and what he does for us every single day through reminding us of his amazing love for us. See, the next thing I see is this, is that the breaking of bread is powerful. It's powerful. In John 6, we see Jesus make an intriguing and honestly what can seem outrageous statement. Verse 53 says this, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Just imagine being in that talk. (laughs) Whoa. Edward Cullen's here. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. See, Jesus isn't talking about a literal eating of his flesh and blood. The people of the day, they understood this. If you read John 6, and we've not got time, but if you go back, Jesus is talking about food that you eat, that perishes, that's all right for a few hours and then you're hungry again, and comparing that to food for the soul that lasts forever. We don't see an account of people running up to Jesus afterwards, like trying to bite his arm to get a bit. I need that. They're not doing that. They see, they understand the spiritual spiritual outworking of what Jesus is saying. You see, the breaking of bread involves us in a spiritual participation of the benefits of what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, Jesus bought your salvation on the cross. He took you into eternity on the cross. He bought your healing on the cross. He set you free on the cross. And when we break bread, we go back to what he did for us on that cross. The breaking of bread involves us in a spiritual participation of what he won for us on the cross. It's powerful. It's not nourishment for the body. It's nourishment for our souls. See, we see in 1 Corinthians 11, another example of the power of the breaking of bread. Verse 27, Paul says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not, uh, we will not be finally condemned with the world. We see that this church was abusing the breaking of bread. And earlier in the passage, we see that it's, a lot of it's due to disunity. It's due to issues in people's lives. And I just need to make a distinction this morning. You see, there's a very big difference between someone who intentionally, habitually lives 
uh, apart from the ways of God. So uh, intentionally, habitually living in sin. There's a big difference than that, than making a mistake, than messing up. Big difference. Big difference than doing something once. Because like I said, we do all mess up. God knows that. That's why we need his salvation and forgiveness every day. But this church wasn't just like messing up once or twice. They were habitually, intentionally living contrary to the way that God had ordained. And this was a problem. They were coming to the breaking of bread, I believe, as this religious ceremony just to be used and abused, which it is not. It's powerful. See, when we come to the breaking of bread... We must be open to God for him to work within us. And then when he leads us to act on what he tells us. This morning, there might be something in your life that you know doesn't line up with God's best for you. When we come to the breaking of bread, we say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. The breaking of bread's powerful. We see here the link between the breaking of bread and healing. In the Bible it says, by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. And as we come to the breaking of bread, not perfect, no one in here is perfect, but as we come to God and say, hey God, forgive me. God, I want to live a big life for you. God, I want to live in your best. We enter in to the spiritual benefit that he calls us to. See, this is not a religious ritual, but a powerfully spiritual marker stone. And last, it's a common meal. In the message version of Acts 2.42, it says this, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. See, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message version, he translates breaking of bread in the NIV version, to the common meal. This seems to be a contradiction because the breaking of bread is powerful. But the amazing thing is this as well. It's common. See, so we aren't directed that is, this is designed solely for pastors or those qualified in Christian leadership. We aren't given a specific way it should be conducted apart from breaking bread and drinking of the cup. We aren't given a desired location or any indication of how frequently we're to conduct it. This, for me, is the beauty of the breaking of bread. It's from an extraordinary God to be undertaken in common places by common people at common times. Isn't that the gospel? That an extraordinary God comes to common people for common places at common times. And that is what the breaking of bread's all about. See, I think we should do this in our homes. I think we should do this in our families. I think we should do this in our small groups, in our community, with our friends. If it really is involving us in this amazingly powerful, deep, spiritual ritual, then surely we want to come back to God and do this in remembrance of him. Like, I'm not suggesting that you get your friends around for a, for a curry on Friday night and break naan bread beforehand. Uh, I think this is to be involved um, and participated of inside the Christian community. People who know Jesus. But it brings us back to God. It nourishes our souls, heals our diseases and sets us free through God's power at work in us. The bread's not special. 
The drink's not special. It's the spiritual participation and remembrance of Jesus that is powerful. Let's remember that. See, fellowship and breaking of bread brings us back to what really matters, to the essence of our faith, Jesus. They remind us that we have more in common than we do apart. They encourage unity, which is where God commands the blessing. I want to live in his unity. I want to see what it looks like to live in that Acts community. You know what, church? We're, I, I love the fact that we love to talk and love to be together, and we are great in this already. But you know what? I think we can do better. I think we can go further. I think we can go deeper into this community of unity. Let's seek to live there, where we build one another up, where we deal with issues in a mature way, and where we keep God at the very center. I just want to pray for us. If you just bow your head and close your eyes, that'd be great. First of all, if you're new this morning or you've been here a hundred times and you would say at the moment you're not a Christian, you don't know God. I want to give you an invitation today to come into this miraculous relationship with this amazing father. You might have heard a million things about God, but this thing is the main truth, that he loves you and he wants to know you. And what he wants is this. He wants to be involved in your mess. He wants to help you with your hurt. If you say today, Josh, I want to know this Jesus. I want to get to know this Jesus. While everyone's heads bowed and eyes are closed, I just ask you to lift your hand as a sign to you and a sign to God. You want to know this Jesus. Just lift your hands if that's you this morning. Great. Is there anyone else this morning? You want to know this Jesus. You want to step into a relationship with God. Great, you can put your hand down. God, thank you for this lady who today has given her life to you. Father, I pray, Lord, that she would realize that a relationship with you is not this really hard religious thing to do, but actually there's an ease to it. There's a, there's a peace to it. God, and I pray she walks away today, Lord, that she would give her entire life to you. Her hurts, a mess, a rubbish, and all the great stuff as well. Thank you, Father, that you save us and you love us.